All right, welcome to the Outerverse podcast, a podcast exploring innovations in the intersection of culture, technology, and the outdoors. My name is Robin Thurston, and I'm the CEO of Outside Interactive, the world's largest producer of active lifestyle content, events, and services. I'm a dad, a lifelong cyclist, a skier, and I believe that Web3 technology will transform the way we inspire and enable people to access the outdoors. And I want to welcome my co-host, Dahani Jones. What's going on, Robin? And I'm a dad, skier, cyclist, just like Robin, a fan of these emerging communities. And of course, since I retired from football, I've been building companies in the fitness and technology space and being an entrepreneur advisor. And I'm a member of outside board of directors. And Robin says that he can beat me in cycling, but I can crush him at any moment in time. Isn't that right, Robin? <laughs> I don't think so, Tahani. But you know, what are you hey, talking we, about? We, you, we can you have on your bike debate. all the time. And you always say, oh, oh my gosh, your Strava <laughs> is so much better than mine because you're so much faster than me. You know, just tell the people. Tell the people I'm faster than you. It's okay to admit that. I will never admit that ever. <laughs> is this just your, like, your competitive side? You just can't let uh, it go? A little bit. You know, I mean, I, I, I feel like... Uh, Although at 50 or almost 50, I feel like that uh, my competitive spirits are changing to be more, um, you know, I like to ride with other people, Dahani. Well, are you just trying to say that you're going to be a little bit more reserved and you just don't want to like tell people, you know, like or go off on me or something like that? No, I, I'm not. I'm not going to attack early. I'm going to wait till the last hill. Okay. All right. Well, we can just go on a crit because I think flat is better for bigger guys like myself. And when you weigh 150 pounds soaking wet, you have a little bit of an advantage over, you know, the massive force that I am. But we're not here to talk about our, our competitive nature, are we, as, as cyclists? We're, we're going to talk about a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, we could talk about that uh, probably for hours and hours, but uh you know, we want to bring people here to talk about, you know, what we think the future is around not only Web3, but certainly what's happening from a sort of innovation and, and sort of cultural perspective um, at this moment in time. But did we first meet at Under Armour? Was that the first place that we met? I feel like we met before that. I think the first time we met was actually that day in, um, in Baltimore when Roger Goodell was speaking. So it was actually before the acquisition. Are you saying that Roger Goodell the commissioner of the National Football League introduced us. We should have him <laughs> as a guest on our show. I actually think Kevin Plank introduced us, but Roger Goodell was there. So let's all right, not we're gonna give have him both. all the credit. Yes. All right, we're going to have both. We're going to have <laughs> Kevin Plank and Roger Goodell. We're putting it out there in the outerverse right now. But I would hey, say... Hey, wait, wait, let me ask you something. Do you think either one of them own an, an, an NFT, which we'll talk definitely. about what is an NFT later, you think? I think... Definitely, Kevin. I think it's possible, Roger. But Roger would actually own an NFT if it was of a bird, because you know he's like a big birder. He likes oh, he's like a big bird watcher, right? It's oh, like so, a really cool thing. You know so he I mean? likes to spend time outdoors. Exactly. That is why he's going to come on our show. He's going to come on our show in order to talk about that because he believes like he's like, look, I love the game of football, but it's really about being a birder. Well, actually, I don't even know if that's true or not, but I could see him being a birder. And Roger's like a, a good person. Wait a minute, person. you just made that up? <laughs> Sometimes you got to make things up in order oh to get participate. Oh no, Roger's a good friend and he's he's such a, he is an outdoor enthusiast and he's always been that way. You know, Kevin's been the same way, same way too. He's a big time oh, outdoor he's outdoor, enthusiast. He's outdoors yeah. all the time. He's so out, we got to have him on the show. Of course. Yeah, for sure. We'll give him, we'll give him a ring. Um, so let's. 
couple of things to Hani. Let's let's talk about, you know, that's where we got that's where we got to know each other. But maybe, you know, for me, I always think about like how people got into the sports that they decided to do. And so, you know, I'm curious, like, how did you get into football? Like, what was your journey like, like growing up, like, you know, thinking about, you know, um, sports, what sports did you start, you know, and then how did you get into the NFL? Well, for me, it was, I think it was a little bit different. I mean, a lot of people don't realize my first sport was actually swimming. My mom, when I was like six months years old, picked me up and just threw me into the pool. Now that's, that's, that's true story. Okay. Now we did talk about Roger and being a birder, but you know, he, my mom really did pick me up and throw me into the pool and you know Wait, what? Was that, I was survived. That a, what is that? Six months or six years? I said six months, <laughs> okay, six okay. months. <laughs> just she threw me back into the water. Okay. I was rebaptized in the pool in my backyard. She just threw me in there and I flipped back over. She was like, oh, he's a water baby. He'll be just fine. So like, that's, that's like my first sport. So I started swimming and nobody guesses that. I don't know why that was my first sport. And then I got into cycling and then I got into running, you know, and I, I just had a joy of being outside, right? That, I mean, that's why I love, you know, being on the board of outside because the fact that like, that's where I, that's where I lived without that, without that, I wouldn't have had football, right? All mm. the sports that led up to me playing football were things that we wouldn't classify as like the big three football, baseball, basketball, right? Playing all, all these different sports. I mean, I remember the first bike that I got on, it was a mongoose, right? I remember my first bike, mongoose. Second bike was a Haro. And I picked that one up overseas when my family took vacation. I remember getting my first Trek 8000. Wait a minute. You know, did, I, did you raise BMX? Yeah. I'm, come on, man. You know who you're talking to right now. That's why I know that once we get on the bikes and we hook up these power meters, you're not even going to be able to sit with me because I know I'm going to be. Yeah, look, look, see that face. I see that face. But that's besides the point that, you know, that's that's what led me to the game of football is because I was able to build my capacity playing these different sports, um, being able to participate. I mean, what was your first sport? Uh, so I played a little bit of soccer when I was really a young kid because we were in Denver Public, you know, uh, school systems and, you know, obviously had the park system here. But I would say my real first sport was skiing. I mean, I, I started skiing pretty young, um, you know, did a little bit of, uh, you know, ski racing as a young, young kid and, you know, just basically like was sort of fortunate to find cycling because well i always talk about this program that the denver public school systems had which was my journey to the outdoors like i think if this program had not existed i'm not sure that i would have gotten into sports and outdoor sports specifically which is that when i was young uh denver public schools every other friday during the winter would bus you up to loveland ski area you'd get to ski get lunch and get the pass for seven bucks and, you know, like that was a huge deal that gave a lot of kids access to the outdoors uh, for the first time that they might not have normally had. And then we had a warm winter and a coach that I was sort of working with just said, uh, hey, it'd be cool if, uh, you, you know, you should try, you know, cycling. And growing up in Denver, I was fortunate to be in a place where we had uh, what was called the Red Zinger Mini Classic and, you know, entered that and, you know, sort of got into bike racing, you know, through, you know, that as a channel. And so, um, and I was completely swept away by cycling, like at a very, very young age. I mean, it was, um, I'll never forget when Greg LeMond won the world championship in 1983. That was like a really big moment. That was like, oh my gosh, you know, like this is, 
in such an incredible sport and Americans can succeed at it. And I don't like, I just started riding like crazy amounts once that sort of happened in 83. And I was, you know, I was 11 years old at that point. So, I mean, it was, I was very young. So you're obsessed. Oh, I was beyond obsessed. I mean, I was, and, and my parents weren't around. My, my parents were divorced and my mom was, you know, typically working, you know, a lot. And so, you know, I just would ride the bike all the time. It didn't matter if it's snowing outside. It didn't matter what. I was like always on the, the skinny tires, you know, um, riding around outside. And so, uh, and I would be out in the middle of the night sometimes. Like I just leave, you know, 11 o'clock at night and be riding like mountains with no lights, no helmet, no nothing, you know, and. It, so I was completely obsessed. Very, very bad, Robin. Very, very bad. <laughs> no lights, no helmets. Like, what are you talking about? You probably got so, lost so, one time. Th- th- this is the whole point. That was the 1980s. Like, no, like no one there. There wasn't people weren't as worried about safety as they are today. So did you did you ever get lost? Did you ever get stuck? Well, I have a funnier story about getting lost is after I founded Map My Fitness, whenever I'd ride with people, if I'd ever get lost, they'd make fun of me because they were like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, how can you how can you get lost? You own a mapping company like you're a mapping guy. Like what? What's up with that? But I, oh, think I, more- I, I definitely got lost. OK. Ever have to hitchhike back home? Oh, yeah. No. So this I tell the story one time that I got two flat tires. I was all the way in Evergreen and I had to hitchhike back to Denver because there was no Uber. And finding phone was tricky. Like, and I was, you know, like, I, I can't remember. I was probably 13, 14 years old, but I had to like, you know, I, I had to hitchhike back to Denver from Evergreen because I had two flat tires. Two flat tires. Yeah. And only, only Inter- one tube. So only you had one tube. One, you had one tube, you had yeah. no light and no helmet, and you had like one quarter, but you used <laughs> that for a soda pop instead of uh, being able to call, you know, for someone to come pick you up. But that's exactly but like that. But I feel like that's everybody's story from growing up. Right. At least back in kind of you and I's time. I mean, you're maybe you're a little bit a smidge older than me. That's why I'm like second in this in this podcast. I'm 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 the I'm your co-host to your hosting because I'm I'm the, the younger one. I'm the younger one. I, I think and I think that's what worries me so much in some level about the future. You know, when I even think about my own kids or, you know, other, you know, people growing up today is that like it's it's so fundamentally changed. And, you know, like the recent, uh, there's information on the CDC website showing the kids under 18 are spending nine to 11 hours a day on screen time. Uh, that probably was time for you and I, Dahani, growing up that we were outdoors, you know, uh, during the, you know, during the day and, um, or night. And I think that's something that uh, when I think about this convergence of culture, technology, and the outdoors, one of the reasons why we have to leverage technology to get people into the outdoors is that this is a trend that needs to be reversed. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was younger and we lived in this cool little neighborhood and there was a Creek that was a couple streets down. I mean, some of my friends and I, we would just go down to the Creek. We grab a couple sticks. We have a little pocket knife and we start whittling away on these little boats and we'd race these creeks, race these boats through the Creek. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, then we were like, we're hungry. So we had a couple hot dogs and, and like our backpack and we'd make a little fire on like some flagstone. I mean, you used to do stuff outside and you're, and you're right. Kids, my kids, they want to be inside. They want to be on their, their iPad. So anytime my kids say, Hey, I want to go outside, open the door and let them go. Right. But there is a little bit of this apprehension in the back of my, my mind, like, where are they going? When are they going to be back And this worry? But the worry is a little bit different than I think maybe the, the worry was was before. Maybe the world was safer. Maybe it's not. 
I don't know. But I think that helicopter mentality as parents, we just kind of want to keep them all battened down. We want to make sure we're building these fences in order to keep these kids in. When in reality, I think all of us really need to get back outside and find our comfort within the environment. Why do you think that's happened to honey? Why do you think parents have become, you know, the sort of helicopter or sort of, you know, protectionism has become such a huge thing. Why do you think that happened? Uh, I think number one is where we know more about, you know, like our ignorance was bliss. Mm. Our ignorance kept us happy. We were, you know, just carefree kids. And now we recognize the dangers that exist around each and every corner. I mean, it's blasted in front of us on that same screen time that each one of us probably spends six to seven hours on our phone, right? Like responding for text messages and emails and having to talk to people and then being on different calls. Like we spend a lot of time. So that information just really comes at us and it make it gives us anxiety. And so every time that you think about somebody going somewhere where you don't know where they're going to be or who they're going to be surrounded by, then you kind of like this little trigger goes off in your brain. It's like, wait a minute, if I can just keep them within my line of sight, then I don't have to worry as much. And so I think it's the access to the information. So, you know, technology comes a little bit of a, a double-edged sword, right? You, you want to be able to have access to things, but at the, at, at the same time, you want to be able to allow people to go to do, to do more. And as a parent, you put up this umbrella of safety in order to keep the rain off your children to make sure that they're protected anywhere they go. And that information just changes your viewpoint. I mean, how do you feel about it? I do think there's been this sort of like push towards, you know, fear at some level. Like, in other words, that we're we think about all the worst case scenario things that can happen versus maybe maybe we didn't, you know, or maybe our parents didn't uh, when we were growing up. Um, but I also think that, you know, this you know, this evolution of, you know, technology, whether it's, you know, I think about the video games that I played when I was a kid versus the video games today. And I would argue that they're much more addictive um, today than they were, you know, and, th- and, and, and I think some of those things are drawing, you know, kids indoors. And at some level, it's, there's sort of confirmation, you know, bias, because the parents are like, well, you know, like, I'm going to use the, the the sort of angle you were talking about, which is like, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to them out there. So I'll go ahead and let them do those things that are happening in the house and keeping mm-hmm. them in the house. And I think that's one of the things when I think about even the, the building out of outside, I go, how do we build and, and potentially change culture to the point where there is that comfort level? And I, and there's things like, you know, obviously there's things like air tags now and, you know, GPS devices, you know, that parents can put on kids and, you know, things like that. But that that's still very different than we were growing up because there was a certain amount of risk that that parents and kids were taking that they're not really taking anymore. And I think I, I do think technology has influenced this tremendously. So you're saying that Pac-Man isn't as addictive <laughs> as some of the games that we have going on now, because I actually still have a Pac-Man machine in my house. Oh, yeah. Wait I'm addicted. Minute. I'm addicted. So you 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 brought up outside, and I'm just curious. You know, I'm on the I'm on the board, and and I I love being on the board. Outside interactive. It's it's one of the most amazing experiences ever. And and I wouldn't have been able to do that had it not been for you founding founding the business. So for for those that are those that are listening, and as we talk about the outerverse, the evolution of the organization has has moved more towards the outerverse. It's 
you know, it's outside outiverse. So give them a little bit of a context of how the, how the two worlds are moving, moving together. Well, I think when we talk about the, the, you know, that's technology problem that, you know, think about again, the, the basic, you, you talked about games or, you know, interaction that we have with everything from email to, you know, um, Slack to other things, they're all highly addictive at some level. Like we're getting positive, re you know, uh, confirmation when we're opening these things up and it's like, you know, we're getting a, you know, serotonin rush or, you know, cortisol, you know, happening. And I, I think that when I think about the future of outside at some level, you know, there's a lot of preventative things, you know, in the world. In other words, like if you think about, you know, the healthcare system, in my opinion, is a reactive world. Um, but there are preventative things. And I, my view is that outside has this opportunity to be on the sort of, you know, cutting edge of how do we prevent, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, your health going south or, you know, screen time or, you know, all of these things to converge, to get people outdoors, which I think has a really, really big impact on um, all parts of your health and well-being. And so what is outside today? I mean, obviously we have um, some amazing content brands and everything from Outside Magazine to Ski Magazine to, you know, Backpacker um, to Velo News. Um, you know, we have event services, uh, where we interact with a lot of event directors and 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 help people, you know, get to the events that they want to go to and and register for those events, um, and then ultimately what gear you have and how we think about gear, I think is is a really important part about how people engage in the outdoors, um, and so we want to make that easier for people, um, but it ultimately is about technology and 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 really the personalization. Because so many people do more than one activity like you and I, you know, we ski, we, we ride, you know, um, you love to fish. Um, and those things are, you know, to me, it's important to bring that experience together for the consumer. And that's really what we're trying to do at Outside Interactive for the customer today. But the future state is how do we actually reward people for that behavior? How do we bring people and engage them in a way that um, creates this positive reinforcement, um, not only for their health, but for their communities, for their children, um, you know, for the future of, you know, really, um, you know, earth. Yeah, because I, I remember reading an article, you're talking about how the outerverse is going to be alternative to the metaverse, right? That's like the buzzword, right? And it, how we're going to encourage people to live real lives. And I think that's, Soon, I wonder if that's going to be a controversial, you know, topic. What's real, right? And I think that when we think about it from from outside interactive, that's everything around us, right? That's everything that we wish our kids um, can and will experience. But we just need the community of people, right, in order to kind of reinforce this mentality that what we had a long time ago is still okay to live now. And as an outside um, participant you too can be um, sort of given the license to leave your surroundings and leave your technology behind in order to kind of go out and experience the things that are around us. Um, and, and, and while the rest of the world is trying to be pulled into this, to this metaverse, we're just saying like, look, put up your shield and, and, and say, okay, that's great. But there's a whole nother part of this world that exists that we want you to experience. I mean, would, would you, would you say that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the metaverse, which obviously in the last year became a really big, you know, headline term, everybody's trying to get in the metaverse in one form or another, you know, right? But I think it goes back um, a little bit, a little bit before that in that, you know, if you think about a movie like Ready Player One, right? You know, when that movie came out and I saw it the first time, I thought, wow, like this is this is a dystopia that no one would ever want to live in. No one, right? And you kind of look at where the big tech companies are going on VR headsets and, you know, kind of how they envision the future. Because we have to remember their incentives are all aligned around us spending more time on screens. And those screens mm -hmm. are in any possible sort of venue, you know, that they, they could be augmented reality out in the outdoors. Like if you think about what Pokemon Go was, you know, but they're but but I would say that they're driven and, and their incentives are aligned around getting us to spend more time on, you know, uh, eventually VR. And so now it's like I think about when that movie came out and I think about like how much closer we are to that today. And it's terrifying to me, Dahani. Like I, I, I I'm like, this can't be possible that like this movie that was years ago is sort of a predictive state. And oh, by the way, there's lots of other examples of that, you know, from a future futurism perspective. But, you know, I almost asked the audience, like, is that what you want? Is that dystopia of like living, you know, uh, in, in stacked RVs and, and, you know, like being in a VR world all day long? Like, is that something that you want or you want the, you know, the next generation to, to live in? Because it certainly feels like that's where we're headed right now in what I would call the metaverse. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know about you, but. I thought it was pretty cool, Minority Report. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so I would like to be able to move things around like Tom Cruise. And maybe maybe at some point I want to be like Keanu Reeves and just move between worlds and, and be the one. I don't know. So I think <laughs> I say that jokingly, but it's serious. You know, like there's people that want to live in this, live like that. And I, and I, I, I look on all the different platforms, much like, much like yourself. I saw a guy washing his hair in the metaverse and he was sitting in a, in like a little kiddie pool in the middle of his house and he had a VR headset and he was, he was like, look, this is how you wash your hair in the metaverse. I was like, sir. You are not washing your hair. It is still just as dirty as it was two <laughs> weeks ago. Okay. Right. So I think that there, there, are, there is a, I, your point is a serious one because they are, um, or companies are aligned and there are incentive in order to keep you online and in this world where they can get you to sort of involve yourself a little more deeply. And that, that does, that does concern me because I think that we as human beings, we don't necessarily want to spend our time online. I think we want to spend our time, you know, getting to know people. And I think that's, what's, what's also amazing about how, how we think about how we think about things. So um, as we we're, we're going down this, this path of the outerverse and, and, and metaverse and how we're sort of splitting, uh, splitting away from that concept, you know, how, you know, there had to be a point in time when thought as the evolution of outside began, you know, 2020, 2021 came along. I mean, could you, could you imagine that it would have been this dynamic? No, I mean, I think you in terms of the total, like everything happening at outside at some level. No, I mean, I don't think any entrepreneur goes in fully understanding exactly what the future is going to look like. Right. I think what I view 
has sort of happened is that, you know, there is a lot of shifts going on in the world. Like, you know, even sort of like I'd say growing, like we grew a lot during COVID, like because of acquisitions and things that we were adding on. And, and you know, I would say the world, in my view, looks very different post, you know, it's not really post COVID, let's say like still during COVID than it did even before. And I feel like it's accelerating even faster. And so when you said the metaverse and we talk about that, this is the outerverse podcast, a little bit of it is like, you know, looking and watching what's happening in the world mm-hmm. and saying, okay, there are some things that we want to differentiate on. And there's some components of the technology and culture that we want to leverage. And so how do we do that to get to the ultimate goal or our mission, which is get everyone outside? Like, how do we use these things to get to that point? And no, could I imagine that? Could I have you know thought that this is exactly what outside was going to be doing three years ago? Absolutely not, Dahani. But what I can say is that the team has been incredibly flexible and innovative in thinking about how to use um, not only the assets that we have today, how do you bring them together? How do you unify them? But ultimately, how do you think about these new technologies and leveraging them into something that potentially um, achieves that mission for us? Mm. So what are some of the core pillars? Because as I, as, I, as I think about you know, our evolution as a, as a company, I, everything comes down to how we're you know, grounded, you know, and maybe the way that people saw it before may, may think to themselves, all right, is that, is that going to be similar to the way that we're grounded now? So think, you know, explain to people about outside and how we're, we're going to adopt web three, but, you know, just more specifically around the core pillars of that. Well, I think first we got to set up like, well, what, what is, what is web three? I mean, obviously, you know, to some extent, you know, the metaverse and web three are synonymous in terms of like people think about them, you know, similarly, um, and I do think having been, I, I was sort of a, you know, I was in the workforce for, you know, really the beginning of the internet, which is web one, web, you know, 1.0. And then I was um, very fortunate to launch, you know, two of the first hundred iPhone apps and in, in map my run and map my ride. And, you know, so I was early in that sort of curve on mobile and I look at what's happening in web three. And my view is that, this this concept of decentralization and the infrastructure of what they call blockchain, which you know again is a is a terminology that's used um, frequently in Web three. You know, my view is that these these technologies are going to be instrumental to uh, many many businesses, but you know specifically in the from an outside perspective, I think they're instrumental in creating the next layer of um, incentives and models that can be used to get people outdoors. But if I'm just sort of a beginner here and I'm hearing these words, a lot of times people get so confused and they conflate them. The, the way that I've, the way that I've heard it, you know, you kind of have a way that you used to communicate, which was via telephone. Then all of a sudden this cool smart device all of a sudden showed up and you could just take it off the wall and the cord got cut and then you were on the phone. And then all of a sudden now you started to dial up and you decide to display information. Now it's the confluence of that information and community and being able to kind of be shared. So uh, that's how I look at 
Web3 and building communities. So talk to people a little bit about the language real fast and that nature of decentralization and community and how the three kind of come together to create opportunity and 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 really democratization across the internet. Yeah, so the, the way that I think about it is today, there are basically five companies, six companies maybe, depending on how, that basically own and operate the internet. And so very simplistically, like Web two, Web 1.0 was, you know, read only, like you looked at a lot of stuff. Web 2.0 was read and write. In other words, you could change and edit and, you know, uh, put things out there, you know, and I think about Web 3 from a read, write and own or earn mm. type of, you know, interaction. And, you know, part of the reason I know there's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different sort of perspectives on Web3. But one of the things that I'm I'm I feel quite, you know, sort of certain of is that the future does not entail having five companies own all of, you know, all customer information all data, you know, all technology as they've gobbled up, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of companies into, you know, their, you know, their portfolio of things that they're offering to their customers. And I think Web3 offers a unique way to potentially start to unbundle that, which in my mind is what decentralization is. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's the control of the information not being in the hands of five specific companies and it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be intermediaries like outside that sit in the middle of this that might be an aggregator. But I do think that it means that one, customers will have a, a lot more control of their information. Like they'll just, they will own it in a different way than they've owned it before. And they will be able to decide when they want to move on from a specific brand or influencer or partner and be able to port that data with them, which is not the case today. I mean, I can't just leave Instagram that easily. And and if you go look at the terms of service, they own everything. They Mm. own all the rights to that content once it's put up there. And they make 100% of the revenue from the ads that they serve against that content that you and I post on Instagram, right? Like they, we don't get any of the advertising revenue from Instagram. Wait, wait, so Instagram owns all of my photographs that I put on Instagram? 100%. Go read the terminology. Even, even you though can take they're them down. on my, even you, though they're can, on my my phone, they're on your phone. They own them. Wow. How many people you think know, know that? Because to be honest, I thought that if I took a picture with my phone, that I basically own that. If I put it on Instagram, I'm essentially just showing my friends, and Instagram is essentially borrowing. But are you saying that Instagram actually owns that photograph, or are you saying that Instagram is able to leverage that photograph for their benefit? And that's where sort of like the 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 change is occurring. People are starting to own their sort of utilities for their benefit versus the company owning for their benefit. I would say that in all of the cases of the major social platforms that they have ownership rights to that content once you post it there in perpetuity. Even if you take that photo down, if they happen to have kept that somewhere and later use it in some way, they have the rights to be able to do that. And so that to me is fundamentally what is going to change in the future. So how are we at outside going to do things differently? And how are we going to, instead of take things from people, we're going to be able to provide them more opportunities 
and leverage our platform to kind of create new economies? Well, I mean, I think there's a, there's a longer story here about like how do we attract those same creators to the outside platform because of the differences and how we're going to share you know revenue with them or how we're going to interact with them or how we want them to interact and own the communities that are part of you know I'd say part of are part of the outdoor ecosystem right I think that's a longer journey for us as we think about how we potentially can be that place for creators. And creators to me, by the way, are like everybody to Hani. They're like, they're journalists, they're photographers, they're videographers, they're, you know, event directors, they're personal trainers. Like all of those people are creators in our category, in our, in our world of the outdoors and active lifestyle. In the short run, I think it's important to help the audience understand the direct connection that we're trying to make with outdoor activity. So the, the, in, in our you know, sort of iteration one of this, we said, look, we think NFTs from which are non-fungible tokens are an interesting medium and technology mm-hmm. to you know, think about uh, intellectual property or, you know, sort of ownership, right? Like the fact that if you, Dahani, do, let's say you had a project with us and we we mint that on our platform and marketplace, that you have a a direct ownership of that, can take it with you, can or the person buying it can, and that they really own it. And I think that's a, you know, significant difference in, you know, sort of the, what I'd call web 2.0 versus web 3.0. I think the... The next part, though, is we said, look, we want to build an infrastructure mm-hmm. where if you, Dahani, or a brand or a personal trainer has that project with us, that we will also keep track of the people who buy that specific project or, you know, again, in this terminology, an NFT. And then we keep track of how much activity they do so that we can layer on and give additional rewards for that individual who does more and more activity. And I think that direct connection from our perspective is the most critical part of what we're building, which is every project that we're going to partner with, you know, people in our ecosystem is we want to tie the benefit um, or additional benefits to that initial project to being um, things that they get rewarded for, for doing more and more activity time. Right. And, and we're doing that alongside partnering with Superlayer and building on Solana we're really focused on sustainability and with mission aligned brands. And, you know, I've come from, I've come from that world being a, being a former athlete. And I think I had, I had sponsorships as well, but I think what your point is, it was only one direction, right? Now we're looking at building sort of a, a, a true partnership. And I think that's what web 3.0 allows us to be able to do. And I love the fact that we're getting people to build upon these activities. What, what type of activities do you think we will see that might sort of evolve from this? You know, like I can use a, a specific example, which, you know, I think is is one of the interesting things about, you know, not only what we're building, but Web3. So I, I, I typically use this example of, you know, we, we own, we own a, a brand called Warren Miller Entertainment that puts out a movie every year called, you know, Warren Miller Films. And we go on a theater tour and you know, we're, um, we have a, you know, crew of people that, you know, go and interact with these customers in, in all of these cities across the U.S. And, you know, historically, we didn't really have a relationship with those individuals. In other words, they went to a theater, they bought a ticket, and we outside 
don't really know who they are. And, and neither mm. did Warren Miller other than maybe doing a little email collection for some, you know, giveaway or something like that. But in general, you know, if we, if typically a couple hundred thousand people see something like Warren Miller, we don't have a relationship with them. Right. Well, you know, and we don't know how much activity they do. So like, we don't know whether or not that person goes skiing never one day, five days, 10 days, or, you know, 20 or 50 days in a year. And so, you know, part of what I see Web3 is this opportunity to first create this relationship. So like with Warren Miller, this fall, our plan is to issue 100% of the tickets as NFTs so that that person can really connect with us for the first time and we know who they are. Then the second step in that is getting them to connect you know, whether it be Apple Health or a third party device like Garmin or maybe even to, you know, um, their icon pass is to connect that person to understanding how many days skiing that they go and reward them for, you know, let's say they get to the five days of skiing and it unlocks something that they couldn't have access to, like maybe, you know, uh, time with our editors at Ski Magazine or with, uh, you know, Travis Rice or, you know, uh, uh, somebody else in the in the category of skiing and snowboarding. And then when they get to 10 days and unlocks an NFT that's super rare that they can only get because they got to 10 days. Mm. Our view is that that will create an incentive. Not only it will help us and the community understand who's in that community better, but it will also create a direct incentive to people wanting to go ski more and more days. And that's like the direct connection of what I would call, you know, the collectible, i.e. the ticket becomes something that's rare and unique and you and, and becomes associate, you become associated with that. So you went to the, let's say, you know, this will be the, uh, I think the 74th edition of Warren Miller. You know, so like you, you go and you have that as something that like is memorabilia and, you know, something that you now own because that ticket stub becomes something unique. It's a utility and that it gets you into the movie and maybe gets you access to things that only you can have access to because you got that NFT. And then third, connecting it to this outdoor activity. And our view is that every activity that we're in, it doesn't matter if it's kayaking, climbing, cycling, surfing, whatever it is, that we want to bring these parallels of connecting you, you know, collection, utility, and community all together. One of the other parts, and I know we've discussed this a bunch of times, is, you know, the fact of how, you know, DE&I, how we can think about sustainability also plays into it as well, right? So we're not just issuing just, you know, a, a way to, you know, share profits with an organization and create experience, but also being able to find ways to give back. And I think those are really unique and um, complementary things that we do as an organization as we're building partnerships with others. Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, as we've sort of explored how do we participate from an industry perspective, I think at a creator level, it's like, you know, how to build a platform that gives exposure to the the audiences that that, you know, creator and project that we're, we're partnered with them on is getting enough visibility. But the, the second part for me was really like, how do we collectively as an industry mm -hmm. build something that everybody in the industry wants to be part of because they know that the, you know, that the commitment and the resources are gonna go back into building up the industry, right? So like I often use this, um, this example of, 
you know, a lot of advertisers spend money with Instagram and Facebook um, and a lot of advertisers in the outdoor space do. And I think that sometimes what people forget is that the outcome of those dollars um, being spent is on R&D into things like the metaverse or, or VR that might never have that person going outdoors again. So if I'm mm -hmm. North Face spending money with, with, you know, basically Facebook and Instagram, they're taking a lot of that money and investing it in a, a dystopia where you never go outdoors. So am I going to need a jacket in the future? Right. And I think our view was like, how do we build this from an industry perspective around um, not only giving back to sustainability and DEI, but collectively coming together as an industry because we know how important the planet is and bringing more and more people into these categories. So it's mission alignment. And, I, and Robin, we're going to have so many people on, on our podcast. I mean, I think so. What do you think? I, I think we should get everybody to be on the podcast. Um, but who are some of the people that you, you think that we should or that we're going to have on the show besides the fact that Roger Goodell is going to come on the show? I got to make that happen. I, I know I can make Kevin happen. Yeah, Actually, Kevin, you know what? Kevin. I'm sure I, I'm sure I can get, make, make Roger happen, too. All right. Well, hey, that would be great. Um, you know, look, I, I look at I mean, there you know, there are individual names that I could point out. But I, I think that for me, we really want to bring the creators to the table that, you know, are already thinking about how they're, you know, this connection of culture, technology, and the outdoors are happening. And so there are projects that are already out there that, you know, I think um, we want to really explore. Are they working? Are they not working? Why are they working if they are? Um, I think we need to have builders on. I think we need to have mm -hmm. people that are building parts of the technology that you know we're referencing so that the audience can have a better understanding of why that technology might revolutionize how they think about getting into the outdoors um you know and then just you know some fun people too like you know people that are just like you know maybe maybe they want to poke phone at both the metaverse and the outerverse i don't know <laughs> I, th I, th I think we're basically opening the door. If you want to be on the Outerverse podcast with Robin Thurston <laughs> and Dahani Jones, please reach out to 1-800-OUTSIDE. <laughs> you like that? I like that. I, I want everybody to be on uh, on the show as well, because I, I think that as a society, we are at a unique juncture where people are starting to decide whether they want to live in reality or they want to live in you know, virtual. And I think that's, it's okay. And, you know, to be honest, I think, I think the, the, the future is a little bit of the mix, right? I think we need a mix of technology to, to sort of continue to evolve and to make things easier. Right. I think that's what we always want. Now there's always unintended consequences that come along with it, but I bet you would have rather had like Magic Leap was trying to, and Magic Leap is a company that's valued at a whole lot of money that lost a whole lot of money. That's trying to get a whole lot of more money back. And they're <laughs> taking some technology where they're trying to make it better technology, but they kind of lost a step on the technology and they're trying to get it back. But basically for everybody, they just want to take the glasses and put the VR technology in it. And for you to live a little bit of a, like a mixed reality life. And I think that's actually pretty cool. But those that have contacts that you got to put in as well. Yes, the future is here, right? I think it's important that we have those creators, we have those influencers, we have the builders, we have the people, we have the leaders of companies because everybody needs to be able to come somewhere where they can talk about it, 
and we can figure it out together, right? And what better way to help them figure it out than with you and with you and I? Isn't that right, Robin? I, I totally agree. I mean, look, the reality is that it is not one side or the other, that it is a convergence of all of these things happen together. And that's what we that's what we want to explore here on the Outerverse podcast. So we're going to have some fun. I told you about the future of what I think it's going to be. What do you think the future of, of Web3? What do you think the future is going to be? Give me, give me 50 years from now, Robin, when he's 120, and tell me how, how it's going to look. Yes, I know how to do math, everybody. And yes, Robin is that old. <laughs> That's 70 years from now. Man. Come on. <laughs> Um, What do I think it's going to look like? I absolutely believe technology is going to be more integrated into our lives than we expect. Um, Mm. Based on the rate of change, I just think that it's inevitable. I'm not saying that uh, I mean, if you if you look at today, the the amount of people getting it's I don't know. I I grew up watch, watching this show called The Six Million Dollar Man, right? And and you know, basically, like he had all these like mechanical body parts, and he was like incredible, you know. And the reality is probably we have more of that. We have more and more, you know, um, to the point where, you know. Um, I think about a scene in Star Wars where, you know, Luke Skywalker is is having his hand replaced and the droid is like testing out the mechanism. And then when it closes, you can't even tell it's on. You're like, he has this new hand. You can't tell it's on. I think mm. 70 years from now, those are realities. Like, I think that, you know, the, 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 the intersection of technology and humans uh, becomes closer and closer together. Um, but I, I don't think there's a... I don't think we have a planet if everybody ends up indoors. Basically, um, they're not going to need a knee replacement, or they're not going to need a, 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 a you know a bionic hand if we never go outdoors. And it's all like you know using your mind to control mm. your screen. So that is not a dystopia or a world that I think it is going to look like. I think that um, there's going to be a reconnection with nature at so many levels because we like I I love this you know t-shirt I saw the other day that there is no planet B um mm. like I I don't I don't believe that we'll be we might be on Mars in 70 years but I don't believe that we're all going to live on Mars in 70 years and so we have to save this planet like we have to do everything we can and think about technology and think about a world where you know, there is more and more people, like probably by then there's what, 10 plus billion people on the planet. Like we have to be more efficient with our resources and figure out how to revitalize those resources. And I believe the technology and ultimately our culture, in other words, the, 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 the next generation of people, that this is going to be one of the most major things that they focus on from a day-to-day, you know, living perspective, even though that convergence of technology has come closer. Well, I'd have to agree with you, but I didn't let you, I want to also let you know that half of my body is bionic and that's why I can do the things that I do. Um, Just letting you know, um, because the fact, you know, playing football, you got to replace half your parts anyways. So I'm already living in that 50 year from now life, that 70 year from, uh, from now life. But, you know, I I agree with you. I, and I see, I've seen that shirt. There is no, there's no planet B. Um, we have to take care of the planet that we live on today and we have to care about um, 
what we do with the planet. And we also have to care about the future of how we, how we leave the planet. Um, I think that the, the future is around what we're doing outside. Right. And I think uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about and the different ways that we're, we're, we're collaborating with people. I mean, it's, you know, we talked about the double bottom line, but I don't know. It has to be like a double, triple, quadruple bottom line. It's not a just, you know, one of my coaches at the university of Michigan always talked about, it's not about you. It's about something greater than yourself. And I think mm. that's what the outer verse is really all about. So Robin, we've been talking about so much stuff today. We've been talking about some of the guests that are going to be a part of that our outer verse show. What are some of the big things um, that are upcoming on our podcast that people should be really excited about? Yeah, so look, I mean, it really starts with building community. So that's the sort of, you know, thing that's pushing us as we wanna bring this outdoor community together. So our first big push into the category is outside.io, which is where you go to sign up to learn about all of the future projects and partners and brands that we're gonna have involved in the outer verse um, on a go forward basis. And so the first big thing that we have coming at the end of June is the Outerverse Passport, which essentially is your early access to all of the future drops that we're gonna do. Things like the Tour de France drop or you know, other drops with influencers that we're gonna have on the show or brands that you know are really mm. have big pro new product releases um, in the category. But ultimately this is about all of those projects are to build this community around the outdoors that ultimately gives back from a sustainability and DEI perspective. And we're gonna have that on the Outerverse Discord channel, right? Yeah, you can go talk about it at the Outerverse uh, Discord channel day or outside uh, Discord channel, outside.io. Um, and our goal there is really to start taking feedback from the community. Who would you like to see on the podcast? Um, what, what future drops would you like to see? And by the way, are we getting you to go outdoors more by doing these specific um, you know, NFT drops and other things that we have going on? We wanna hear in real time, is it working or not working from um, that community of people? And you can, you can you know, send us notes on Twitter at outside.io and you can send, you know, go, go join Discord. Um, you know, to be able to give us that feedback in real time. We just want to hear from you. We want to yes. know what's going on, yes. right? I yes. mean, we, we want to include everybody and in what we've got going on as in much the Outerverse. As, as, as much, much as, as possible. possible. Yes. Right? Yes. Robin, take us out. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. We're going to have some amazing guests in the future. Dahani will be joining me every two weeks. And I whoop, cannot whoop. wait to explore the Outerverse with all of you. That's what I'm talking about. Boom. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. The Outerverse podcast is an outside interactive production with hosts Robin Thurston and Dahani Jones. The producer and sound engineer is Kirk Warner, scheduling by Adrian Paulson. To learn more about all we are doing in the Outerverse and to sign up for the Outerverse Passport, head to outside.io. Have a great week and get outside. <laughs>